Well, this morning, would you get a Bible and open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 36. So as you turn there, if I could describe a fundamental issue in the culture today, it would be described in one word, trust. More often than not, the question is asked, who can you trust? And the response is often given, no one. You can't trust the news. You can't trust the government. You can't trust your neighbors. You can't trust your friends or family because of the divisiveness of issues of today. At some point or another, every single relationship that we have on this earth breaks trust. News these days seems to do the opposite of build trust. And the government, and this is true, has spoken out of both sides of its figurative mouth and then done that which does not represent a sizable portion of the people they are called to represent. They break trust. And you have Christian organizations claiming the name of Christ, then making policy decisions that are against the words and teachings of Christ. And you have world-renowned Christian leaders exposed in living a double life, breaking trust. And this question is not just for unbelievers, but is for believers in the church Who can you trust? What's the right way? Can we know real truth? Can we get to the bottom of things? And is our lives just to be a life of continual distrust? And that's it. Well, there's good news. Because the first disciples of Jesus faced a very similar Quest, faced very similar questions when they found out that their Lord and teacher, Jesus, was going to leave them. And Jesus didn't just abandon them. He gave them the key to the right way, the right truth that they could bank their lives on and a sure promise that there was life and more to life than all their fears and stress and distrust could sidetrack. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So would you stand with me as we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 36, and we'll be going into chapter 14, verse 6. Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have a seat. See, in the midst of astounding amount of fear, anxiety, confusion, and stress, Jesus called his disciples, and he calls us in this passage, to look again at the one who, even when all else is sinking sand, could and can be trusted. This passage tells us that we should trust Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So as we look at this passage, let's ask a question. Why should we trust Jesus? Firstly, the reality is, is we can't make our own way, truth, or life. Simon Peter said to him, verse 36, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Why can't we do this on our own? Why can't Peter do this? Well, first, if Jesus doesn't go, there's no way to follow. Because Jesus answered his question indirectly, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. He is going to answer Peter's question directly as to where he's going. But before he does that, Peter needs to know first that where Jesus is going, Peter cannot follow yet. It requires Jesus to get there first. And, just to, and we've already read the passage, so where is Jesus going? He's going to God the Father. He's been saying that over and over again. And he has to go first in order for anyone else to go. And there is an age-old lie in this world that religion all over the world assumes that there is a way to God and all you have to do to get on that way is be sincere and hardworking enough in whatever that God wants and you'll get there on your own. But Jesus here blows that out of the water. Where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. If God doesn't act first, we cannot follow him. But since he has, we can. Secondly, we can't follow him because if Jesus doesn't lay down his life for us, we have no life to lay down for God. Look at verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, he's really frustrated. Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Peter is exactly like us. 
God says we can't do something and we're like, oh yeah, who put you in charge, God? Why can't I follow you if I want? Look at me, I'm ready to lay down my life for you. But do you see the problem? Peter makes the prideful assumption, an assumption that we all make before Jesus rescues us, and that it's that we have a life that's worthy enough to lay down for God, apart from God. But God has told us, because of our sin, our evil against him, we are separated from him. And we are spiritually dead in our sins. And there is no worth in death. We can't make our own life. And that's why Jesus rhetorically asks the question back to Peter, will you lay down your life for me? No, it has to be the other way around. In order for us to have life, the way, the truth, and the life must lay his life down. And third, if Jesus doesn't know the truth, we'll tell lies to God and ourselves. Peter makes the claim, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter does not yet grasp what is going to happen. And I don't think we oftentimes don't understand the severity of our sin and we answer similarly. It's easy to talk a big game at the press conference, before the game, or in the locker room. It's a different story when you're out on the field. And we're not talking about a wimp here. Peter is not a wimp. Peter is a courageous guy. When Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you know what he does to try to prevent Jesus' arrest? He slices off a guy's ear with a sword in front of an angry mob. Okay, there's a really fine line between courage and insanity. And Peter's, he goes back and forth. But when Jesus does go away in handcuffs surrounded by a mob and is put in a false trial, we see Peter confronted by a lowly servant girl who asks him if he's a disciple of Jesus, and he says, no way. And let's not kid ourselves that if we were there, we would have done differently. Even here today, before the rooster out back has crowed, now I've pointed, out, pointed that out, that, that that's there, perhaps we have not lived our lives honoring to the Lord in all things. Our hearts have been distracted this morning, thinking about other things than God. We are in desperate, daily need of a Savior. We can't make our own way, truth or life. So, we should trust Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. We can't, but he can. Secondly, Jesus assures us with the way, the truth, and the life. 
Because he doesn't leave Peter there and he doesn't leave the disciples there. What does he say next in chapter 14, verse 1? He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So we face the reality that we can't make our own way, truth, and life. What do we need? How does Jesus assure us with the way, the truth, and the life? Well, first, Jesus commands us to believe him. Let not your hearts be troubled, disciples. Believe in God. Believe also in me. How we handle fear, trouble, and anxiety in our lives can be greatly affected by who we believe God to be. I mean, this, let's, let's evaluate this situation. The disciples were losing their Lord and teacher, someone whom they'd built an intimate relationship with th- for three years, who they looked up to. There had been threats of death. They had just seen Judas leave, and at least some of them knew he was going to betray Jesus. And then they hear from Jesus' own mouth that the, perhaps the most loyal of the disciples was going to deny association to Jesus, not once, but three times. Something bad was coming for Peter to, be do, to do that. So yes, their hearts were troubled. But do you know what the number one thing our hearts and minds need when we face trouble of any kind? We need God. We are designed to have and know and believe God. We need to know and embrace who he is, who he has always been. Because these these commands are not new. Over and over in the Bible, God has told his people, do not be afraid. And almost always in that context of do not be afraid, God tells the people about something about himself. And as we look at that, what does that mean? That means his word is for our faith. And here's the same thing. We need to hear it over and over again. Do not be afraid. Let your, not your hearts be troubled. Keep believing in God. Keep believing in me. That is, God in the flesh. Our faith in Jesus is our lifeblood, especially in times of trouble. Jesus commands us to believe him. And secondly, we are given assurance. This wonderful truth is that Jesus tells us the truth about heaven. Verse 2 of chapter 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? This is incredible. Jesus not only declares that there is his father's house and that it has many rooms, but that there is a place for them there. 
This is the home of all who believe Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And we should be overjoyed. Why? Because God, God who is holy and will judge sin in perfect righteousness, also is a merciful God to send his Son to redeem sinners and make them his children. Never think that God enjoys empty halls of his heavenly house. No, he has meant from the found, before the foundation of the world for, the, for those rooms to be filled. And there are many more rooms than just for the 11 disciples Jesus was originally speaking to you. So here's the question. Is one of them yours? Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe that one of these rooms is yours? Do you trust his son Jesus and his sacrifice to save you? Do you repent of your sin? Do you believe that he can forgive you? If so, there has been a place for you as a beloved child. There is a place for you as a beloved child of God guaranteed by Jesus. Just as he guaranteed it for his first disciples. This is heaven, the house of God. And Jesus tells us the truth about the reality of our eternal home. (laughs) And this is wonderful, but it's not enough for God to give us this wonderful gift. We are given further assurance in this passage because Jesus promises not only that there's a place prepared for us, but that he's going to come back and give it to us and bring us to himself. Because he says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, which he has, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. It has never, ever entered the mind of God to turn us all into fat little diapered cherubs to sit on ethereal clouds strumming harps forever. And heaven was never designed to be a place where we could finally get some peace and quiet away from everyone. No, heaven is where Jesus will come again from to bring us to himself. That where he is, we may be also. Jesus is not only Emmanuel, which means God with us when he first came to the earth. He will be Emmanuel when he brings us to be with him. Do you long for this? Do you know this and trust this? Because the reality is, is that heaven would be hell for the believers of Jesus if they got there and Jesus wasn't there. The very reason it's called heaven, the very reason it's called the Father's house is because God is there. And he intends for us and will make it so when he returns. And his promise is true. He will return. But he will make sure that we are with him in his Father's house. Jesus assures us with the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, we look at the identity of Jesus because Jesus is the way, the truth, 
and the life. Because he goes on in verse 4. It says, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We've been looking at a little bit of it already, but what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? We're not going to cover it exactly in this order, but he's the truth incarnate that can be known. Because he tells his disciples, and you know the way to where I am going. Why does he say this? Just to do some messy wordplay with people? No. He says this because his disciples know him. And who is he? John begins his gospel with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is truth incarnate, for every word from the mouth of God is true. And what is more is that God has revealed himself in Jesus. He has made himself known. That's what revelation is. Jesus tells the truth of who God really is. Want to know God? Look to Jesus. And how do we know who Jesus is? We look to the word that he has spoken. What God has said of him. And you'll see that he's the truth incarnate that can be known. Jesus also says this secondly because he's the only way to the Father. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If they know the way, they know the destination. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. Have you ever heard the saying, life's about the journey, not about the destination? Have you heard that? Come on, we live in America. You have have to have heard that. What do you think, given this passage? Is that true? What does Jesus think? Well, that statement is one of the biggest loads of garbage that ever just come out of the mouths of sinful people. Because if you're not headed to a fully reconciled, joyous, eternal, life-filled, ultimately sin-free relationship with God the Father, then you've got the wrong Jesus and you're headed for hell. Jesus tells us the destination, and he's very important, the Father. That's why he came to be the way to the Father. We have no other way apart from Jesus. Many roads may lead to Rome, but there's one way alone that leads to God. And some people say, well, that's exclusivistic. Yes, it is. Everyone, everyone, no matter where you've come from, background, skin color, whatever, you are welcome to come to God 
through Jesus Christ alone. And the reason people don't like that is because they want to be God over God and dictate to God how they should be saved. But this, no one comes to the Father except through me, is, one of the, is the most loving thing God could do. He makes one way, and then what does he do? He tells us the way. He tells us who it is. He doesn't keep us in the dark. He says, Jesus is the way. To the Father. That's our destination. And just a little bit here. One of the things we are doing as we look at this passage, to get a little nerdy on you, is we are building a theology of heaven. Do you know that? Here's the progression. Jesus must make the way to the heaven make the way to heaven. He's the way. Second, heaven is described as the Father's house, where there are many rooms and the assurance that we will be there with Jesus. But not only this, our heavenly destination is not just to be thought of as a place. It is to be thought of as a person. Our heavenly Father himself. No one comes to the Father's house. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not just to a heavenly house, even though that's true. Not just to the incarnate Jesus, even though that is true, and that's wonderful. Our understanding must be saturated with the reality that it is through faith in Christ that Christ brings us to the Father. Heaven, true heaven, what we were designed for is in the Father's presence forever. And in His presence where He is pleased with His children, where He bestows on them all the blessings that were forfeited when sin entered the world, and many more blessings arising from the plan of redemption that He put into motion. We, the people of God, should ache and long to be nowhere else, to be with Him even the best days here on earth are but crumbs from a heavenly feast at our Father's house. And the way to the Father also, thirdly, is life. Real life. He is real life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that lines up perfectly with God. God has always been and always will be the source of life. Not Mother Nature, not the force, God. And in Jesus, John said in chapter 1, verse 19, John, he says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. We are given life, real life, through Jesus Christ. We've already said this, but apart from God, we're dead, enslaved sinners. But in being saved by Him, in believing Him, we are made, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, what, is, what does it say? New creations in Christ. And it is being made new with Him, being with Him, being with the Father forever, given life by the Holy Spirit now, 
that we are made alive forever in the life. He's life. He's real life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So let me, let God, not me, let God ask you this question. Why would you try to live your life for anything or anyone else? What do you most value in your life? Let's land this home. We have a church that is full of families, and it's wonderful. It represents God, who God has a family. And he wants his family to, above all else, rejoice, live, love, and be with himself and his exalted and beloved son Jesus and loving one another. So when it comes to your own families, who or what are we placing before them as of greatest value? Actually, sports, work, good grades, academics, the arts, liking us parents, or liking us as a spouse. Let me just say this. None of the things I just mentioned are bad things, okay? None of them but they will destroy us and our families if we build them as ultimate. Only Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, over every one of these areas that I mentioned is sufficient. So let's ask another question. Do we and our families long for being with Christ such that hearing of our Father's house with many rooms is not understood as escape, but as where we were made to be. Do we want to be there as much as Jesus wants to bring us there? We should trust Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. So who do you trust? Who can you trust? Above all, even in the troubles of life, there is one whom we can and should. I came across a poem that captures this from a 19th century pastor named Christopher Newman Hall, and it's called Thy Way is Best. And he wrote these words. He says, Thy way, O Lord, thy way, not mine, although oppressed, for smoother, sunnier paths I pine, thy way is best. Though crossing thirsty deserts drear or mountains crest, although I faint with toil and fear, thy way is best. Though not one open door befriend the passing guest, though night its darkest terror lend, thy way is best. So seeming wild without a plan, now east, now west, joys born and slain's Hopes blighted, can thy way be best? My soul by grief seems not to be more pure and blessed. Alas, I cannot, I cannot see thy way is best. I cannot see on every hand by, ang on every hand by anguish pressed 
In vain I try to understand thy way is best. But I believe thy life and death, thy love attest. And every promise clearly saith thy way is best. I cannot see, but I believe. If heavenly rest is reached by roads where most I grieve, thy way is best. We should trust Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you revealed to us who you are. Thank you that you have never designed to leave us without knowing the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you that we have hope, not in this life only, but hope to come that is sure, just as surely as you were crucified, just as surely as you rose from the dead. And just as surely that faith in you saves and you are mighty to save. Father, thank you that you came to your disciples in the time of their distress. And Lord, in us, our world, in our, this season, there is much distress in our hearts and in our neighbors. And Lord, we thank you that you call us to believe in God and believe also in you. And to not be afraid. Help us to remember our hope in you. Lord, I pray also, and we pray that we would not set anything in our lives, good as it might be, in your place which is above all and over all and in all and through all. Lord, grow our desire to be with you. Grow our desire to be in our Father's house. Help us not to look at this life with this life only lenses, but in light of eternity which you have purchased and guaranteed for us who trust you. <clears throat> Father, please, please reassure our hearts. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would be exalted as you do your good work in it and through it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.